0: Well, now if you're just here today for the first time, uh, we hope you've had a great experience so far. Let me tell you kinda what we've been doing uh, this summer, which it's actually already August, which is kind of crazy. We're in month three of this teaching series already going through the book of First John. And we've called the series In the Light because over and over in 1 John, we see that phrase. And so what we're doing is we're just picking it up one week uh, where we left off the last. So if you have a Bible today, you can turn to 1 John chapter four. We're gonna kind of do the last verse of chapter three and then roll right into chapter four. If you don't have a Bible today, that's all right. We're gonna put all the verses up here for you. We're gonna have some application that we can jot down. But before we get to all that, let me kind of tell you the framing of this message, the the title of this message, and it's simply this, Challenges and Celebrations. Challenges and Celebrations. What we're gonna see in the passage today is a little bit of both. And that's kind of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, if you've experienced salvation, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, there's a number of different words we use to describe that experience. There's gonna be some things in your life worth celebrating. If you've been born again, experienced salvation, call yourself a Christian, whatever language you like to use to describe that experience, there's also gonna be some challenges along the way, and in many ways, that's indicative of our life as a whole. In fact, if you wanna have a fun exercise, maybe with a team you lead or a team that you're on, at work or at school or in the community somewhere, just sit down with individuals on that team and, and go around and have everybody share one thing that they're currently celebrating and one challenge that they're currently facing. Makes for a really good discussion. If you wanna have a really good discussion at dinner this week, get your whole family around the table. If you can get them all there at one time, that's half the miracle, right? Get everybody there at one time and go around and say, hey, everybody share one thing that you're celebrating these days and what's one thing that feels like a challenge? You might be surprised some of the things your kids or teenagers would share with you. So you can do this in a number of different settings and and what we're gonna do today is we're gonna let God's word kind of guide us through this and I'm gonna give you five challenges that could also be looked at celebrations. And and managing that tension and walking with the Lord and figuring out are we celebrating or am I facing a challenge and how's the Holy Spirit all worked into this is part of what it actually means to walk with God. And so let's go ahead and get started today because we do have a lot to cover. Again, the last verse of chapter 3, verse 24. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. The entire New Testament is written to new Christians. They're trying to figure out what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And John's saying, well, one of the ways you know you're a Christ follower is that Jesus places the Holy Spirit in you. He gave us His spirit. And this understanding that the Holy Spirit is in us is foundational to the New Testament, and it's foundational to what it means to have experienced salvation. Now, thankfully for us, there's a number of passages in the New Testament that unpack further what this means that the Holy Spirit is in us. I'm just gonna take you to one from a book called 1 Corinthians, in chapter six, Paul's writing this letter, and I like how he unpacks this idea of the Holy Spirit in us. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who's in you? And you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, and here's the challenge. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when we start focusing on this idea that the Spirit of God is in us, that we're the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, here's the first challenge that I'd ask for you to jot down if you're taking notes today, or maybe even plug it into your phone somewhere. Remember that you don't belong to you. That's what this passage just said. That if you've experienced salvation, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. You are no longer your own. You are bought with a price and you've been commanded to honor God with your body. Now, that's a challenge. But see, there's also a great celebration in that. The celebration in that is that the presence of God dwells within you. This is incredible. In fact, that's the only difference between a believer and a non-believer. See, for a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within them. For a non-believer, the Holy Spirit has not yet dwelled within them. Now once they experience salvation, that will happen. It's not about the external, it's about what's happened on the inside. That the Holy Spirit takes up residence when you experience salvation. So one of the things we've been doing in this series from time to time is sharing a few stories, and um, some of y'all have shared some of your stories with me, which is fantastic, and I love getting to hear each and every one of your stories. But you know, we've been here for about eight weeks now, and, and I'm trying to share a little bit of stories along the way, and at the end of this series, I'm gonna talk about kind of the story that kind of got us here and how God worked and all that. Before today, I wanna talk a little bit about when that happened for me, when the Holy Spirit took up residence in me, my testimony. So I gave my life to Jesus at an early age. I was almost six years old, and I was fortunate enough to be in a family where my parents talked about Jesus a lot. Now, that wasn't always the case. They actually came to faith in Jesus Christ after I was born but then they made Jesus the center of our home, and we talked about the gospel a lot, and I went to a church that talked about the gospel a lot, and so this was kind of a part of my life, and and I was a kid, but I'd been trying to start understanding how all of that worked together, and uh, one Sunday night, again, about six weeks before I turned uh, six years old, uh, they were baptizing people at our church on Sunday night. Now, this was the old-school Sunday night church. Any of y'all grew up in that church? Where Sunday night church was different than Sunday morning church. Preachers had to do two sermons a week. Oh my goodness, right? I honor those men and women, okay? Don't ask me to do that. I can tell you right now, that ain't happening, all right? Not happening, okay? So anyway, Sunday night church, they're baptizing people, and it was like seeing people get baptized started to connect some dots for me. Like, I knew that wasn't what was saving them, but it's such a beautiful picture of what happens when we get saved, that the old is washed away, and that we're brought up out of the water and all things are new and it just connected some dots in my heart and in my mind. So I go home and I started asking my parents more questions and, and talking about it and eventually got to a point in the conversation where they felt like I was you know understanding the gospel in a way where I was ready to receive it. And so I prayed to receive Jesus Christ right there in our kitchen. I asked Jesus to come in, into my heart and, 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 and I was a kid and so my parents were like, well, you know, we wanna make sure that he really understands what he's doing. So they set up an appointment for me to meet with the pastor the next week, which just by the way, if any of you ever wanna do that with me and your kids, I would love to do that, that'd be fantastic. So I went and met with my pastor that week and his name y'all was James Bond all right (laughs) I met with James Bond to talk about salvation now I don't want to in any way like act like I'm being dishonoring to the man he was an influential man he was my pastor when I was a kid but that's kind of cool right and so we sat down and talked and and then he told my parents like you know yeah he understands what he's doing and I'd love to baptize him so a couple weeks later I was baptized guess guess who See, that would have been really bad if it wasn't James Bond. But yeah, you're right, it was James Bond. (laughs) Incidentally, just a fun little side note, at the time in the town I lived in, it was not like this big suburban setting of Atlanta. It was still kind of a small town. You could choose your phone number. And so y'all, he straight up chose 007 to be the last two numbers of his phone number. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Anyway, I digress. So I got baptized a few weeks later and um, been trying to walk with Jesus ever since. Empowered by the Holy Spirit who took up residence in me. You know what it looks like when you take up residence somewhere, we've been living that for the last couple weeks. So I started here in June, flew back and forth a lot during June, then we lived in an Airbnb, and then about two weeks ago, we moved into our house that we're living in out in Chatham County, and and, and we've been making that, three fans of Chatham County, all right, yeah, woo, go Chatham County. Talk about my football team another week, we'll do that, all right, so. I'm coaching football there. See, y'all, y'all getting me off track. Anyway, let me get focused, all right, focus. So we are making that house our residence. Y'all done this before, right? You move furniture around, and then you're like, no, that's not where that needs to go. Let's move it over there. You get all the boxes and, and whoever's room they're supposed to go in, and then you unpack it, and, and then you start hanging up some pictures, and you start putting some decorating touches on it. And and before long, like it starts to look like a new family has taken residence here. Like the picture of the people who used to live there, those pictures aren't there anymore. And you go into Jacob's room, and there's Georgia Bulldog stuff everywhere because he walks with the Lord to the glory of God, all right? So, uh, It's just like, yeah, some, some new people have lived here. They're taking up residence. They're kind of moving from one room to the next and they're making this house their home. Can I tell you, it's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in you. That when you experience salvation and the Holy Spirit moves into your house and he takes up residence in you, he just kind of starts moving around from one room in your house to the next. He starts rearranging some of your furniture, shifting your priorities, he does a little redecorating. He's like, "Yeah, that that memory right there, that Vegas trip. We're gonna put that one back in the box. All right, let's put that back in the box. Let's hang up this picture of your group last week. That's a good one. And like some of y'all, let's just be honest. You were fixer uppers. You were a fixer upper. I mean, Chip and Joanna Gaines couldn't help you any. All right, you were a fixer upper. Holy Spirit had to do a whole lot of work in your house." Shifting your thoughts, shifting your priorities, shifting your values. But see, here's what's so beautiful about that. Before long, everybody else starts to notice something or someone has taken up residence in you. You're looking different on the outside. All of those changes that the Holy Spirit's doing in your house is producing a new person. And church, that is the beauty and the wonder of walking with God. That over time, people can begin to see some things that are different about us and and see some priorities and some values and some decisions that have shifted among us. And so the celebration there is that the Holy Spirit is doing that in us. The challenge is that the Holy Spirit is doing that in us. And, And this is what it looks like to be walking with God. So let's keep going in our passage. Verse one of chapter four. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Isn't that interesting? That this early on in Christianity, there were already false prophets. That, that Christians were already being commanded to test the spirits, to make sure that what these men and women were saying was actually from God. So, so what's the challenge for us? What's the application for us? Here's, here's what I believe it is. To develop discernment without becoming cynical. It's hard to do. This is a challenge. To become discerning without becoming cynical. See, if you wanna be cynical about God and the church, there's plenty of places you could look. There's plenty of examples you could go to. And so how do you develop and how do you maintain a spirit of discernment without crossing the line and becoming cynical? I think, first of all, it's important to just remember there are false teachers. There are people out there that are saying things that are not from God. And so we should always be listening and paying attention. Anytime someone gets up and claims to be speaking on behalf of God or teaching God's word, whether it's me or anybody else, you kind of need to sit up a bit and say, no, let's just see what they're going to say. Because if that person says something to counter to God's word, God's word wins. Okay. So we gotta be discerning. And I do believe the Holy Spirit supplies discernment, and I do believe it's a muscle that can be developed and and, and cultivated over time. But foundationally, I think the best way to develop discernment without becoming cynical is spend a lot of time in God's Word. I just can't encourage you enough to spend time in God's Word. Do you know there's people whose jobs, they literally have a job that does this, that they identify counterfeit money they identify counterfeit money. So they're able to spot it and they're able to catalog it and they're able to make sure that that our currency keeps its value and not just our currency, but literally all over the world. And I would think that these individuals, like if they put me in charge, terrible idea, but if they put me in charge and they said train these folks, what I would do is I would have them study all of the previous examples of counterfeit money. To kind of learn, all right, this is what you know these criminals are doing, and and kind of pick up on the patterns and and see how you could spot this. But see, that's why they didn't put me in charge, because that's not how they train them, okay? The way they train them is they don't look at the counterfeit money, they just keep studying the real thing. Over and over and over till they know it so well and every little detail and every little intricacy that anything that passes in front of their eyes that's false or counterfeit, they pick up on it just like that. Did you know that's a great picture of what it looks like to spot counterfeit teaching, to identify false doctrine, that if you immerse yourself in God's word, you begin to recognize God's ways. That if you immerse yourself in God's word, when somebody begins to say something on behalf of God that isn't from God, you'll spot it. That that, that little red flag will go up. So let's be discerning without becoming critical but recognize foundationally the way to go about doing that is by getting into God's word. Verse two of chapter four. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. All right, I just wanna make sure we're tracking with that. That a spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh from God. Okay, that's good. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Way back in week one, we talked about some of the false teachings that existed. And some people thought, Jesus, great guy, not the son of God. Some people thought, yeah, he came from heaven, but he was never really a person. And so we now understand the deity of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And so John's talking about this idea of Jesus coming in the flesh. But then he's talking about this idea of spirits and how they confess it. And, and so what's really happening there? So let me give you the challenge and then we're gonna spend some time unpacking this. Here, here's, I believe, the challenge. Beware of those who use his name without pursuing his name. It's really Challenging to make the distinction here because he used the same word about those confessing that Jesus came in the flesh from God and the spirit behind that and, and others who aren't confessing that he came in the flesh and the spirit behind that. But see, here's what's really tricky about this. And I'm not gonna make you turn there in your Bible, but if you look in Mark chapter one, Jesus actually, in his, during his three years of public ministry, he has a conversation with some demons. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's crazy. But these demons have possessed the guy. Jesus has a conversation with them, And here's what it gets crazier. They identify Jesus. They literally say, we know who you are. You're the son of God come in the flesh. And it could seem like they're doing what this passage said, confessing that Jesus is God's son come from the flesh. But see, there's a a challenge with that part of the story. Did y'all catch the fact that they're demons? (laughs) So what are you supposed to do with that? Because if demons are confessing this is true, I mean, and it says they're not from the right spirit, and so we we got a little bit of work to do. Thankfully, the word that's used here was already previously used in 1 John. Way back in chapter one, we get this powerful verse that says, if we confess, that's the same word, our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we understand the connotation of that word confess. It's not just lip service. Like, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry for what I did and then just keep right on doing it. Act like nothing ever happened. Or you can't just say, well, I'm really sorry because you just want to, you know, make the person stop bugging you or something like that. I mean, every now and then in our home, you know, our kids get into a little bit of an argument. I know, even in the pastor's home. Yes, that happens sometimes, right? And we have to tell them, apologize to one another. And most of the time, they do a good job of owning it. But every now and then, they kind of just give it lip service. And so mom and dad will go on and do their thing. Do you know what we've done when we can sense that's happening? And I would encourage you to try this. Make them hug each other. It's fantastic, right? (laughs) Just make them hug it out a little bit, all right? So it's just not lip service. Like there's gotta be some contrition behind the confession. A little bit of recognition that I need to repent and go the other way, okay? That's that's what we're talking about with confess. So when we come back to the passage we're looking today, it's carrying with it that idea. It's not just, and this is where it gets really hard. And my goodness, especially in the American church in the 21st century, what I'm about to say is not popular and steps on all kinds of people's toes, which is why I love saying it. All right, so let me just say this, okay? You can actually believe that Jesus came to earth in the flesh and that not match scripture's definition of confession. We are not talking about mental assent. a historical fact. We're not talking about agreeing that Jesus came at Christmas. What we're talking about is this idea that that belief has actually affected everything about how I live my life. We don't know how to think that way as Americans. We compartmentalize. We think, well, I believe it up here, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to down here. This is not the picture we get of confession in God's word. And see, What it means is that there are people, again, let's just have some fun with this a second. I want you to be challenged. I want you to be challenged, okay, that you can profess the name of Jesus as a Christian and have never experienced salvation. This is the world we live in, and it's very prevalent in the South. And Jesus does not want that to be the case for anyone. In fact, in one of the most challenging passages of scripture, Jesus, in his kindness and in his graciousness, gives us a preview of what is to come when he returns. And he does that for our good. So I want you to be challenged by this passage. It's from Matthew chapter seven. And Jesus is talking about the difference here. There are a bunch of people who wanna profess my name. They've just never experienced the confession and what that means to my name. Look at what Jesus says. Th- this should rattle us a little bit. Matthew seven, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's your challenges. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Jesus is giving us a preview of when he returns. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's a good thing. And in your name, cast out demons. That's a good thing and in your name perform many miracles. That's a good thing. In fact, if you saw a church's website and they were advertising those three things, you'd go to that church. Like, wow. I mean, they're prophesying, they're casting out demons, they're performing miracles, God must be in that. Here's what Jesus is saying, no. He's not in that at all. Isn't that strange? that these are things of God that God is not in. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna tell me this is what you were doing. And then he drops this truth. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You say, how can that be? How can Jesus look at people who were doing all of those things and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Here's how he can do that. They were using his name without pursuing his name. And see, if you've never gotten to a place in your life where the acknowledgement that Jesus came to earth to rescue you from your sin has moved from an understanding of a story that we celebrate once a year at Christmas to the fact that has changed your life forever, you hadn't really understood what happened. Because if Jesus really stepped out of heaven and stepped down to earth to become one of us, to pay the price of sin so that we could be reconciled to God, church, that changes everything. And that's just not something we look at and are casual about. It's just not something we look at and go, yeah, I'll consider that. Jesus says, no, if you understand what I did for you, it changes everything about who you are. See, the first thing it recognizes is there's no amount of good you can do to work your way to the front of the line. And there's no amount of bad you can do to get kicked out of the line. You get to a place where you recognize, I guess my sin is what I need to own in this process. Jesus says, yes, own it, but I've already paid for it. Believe that I did that for you. Confess me as your savior and Lord that I walked out of the tomb defeating death. I'm offering you eternal life. It's a free gift of salvation by grace through faith that you accept by grace through faith. See, that's confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and recognizing that your life no longer belongs to you and that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. So it's a warning that we have to heed from scripture. Let's keep going. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. We talked about the Antichrist a few weeks ago. We talked about the spirit of the Antichrist. So I'm not gonna focus on this part of the verse and this message, because we've already hit that in this series. I wanna focus on the the second part, because I love this second part. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. And this is a verse. it's, It's technically the second part of a verse, but that's okay, we'll just call it a verse, that I would love to encourage you to memorize, okay? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Man, that's a good verse to memorize. That's a good verse to say every morning when you wake up. You gotta be careful about memorizing verses, if I can be honest with you. It's not the memorization of the verse that's the problem, it's sometimes how we wanna use it, okay? So like, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I used to quote that verse when I was in the on-deck circle, ready to go, you know, take a hit in baseball, and the picture would strike me out. So I'm like, I don't know about that verse, right? What happened, right? What are we doing here, okay? So you gotta be careful about how you use some verses. But this verse, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit's power in you than anything you're gonna come up against in the world. Greater is the power that the book of Romans says raised Christ Jesus from the dead that is in you than anything you're gonna face in this world. See, this is worth celebrating. Now, let me give you the challenge to jot down. You gotta decide if it's gonna be about you or if it's gonna be about him. This is subtle, this is very subtle. If you care deeply about the things of God, and I don't think we talk to that crowd enough, usually we're just you know, focused on all the people that you know, got a little crazy this weekend, but let me talk to the folks who actually had a quiet time yesterday, okay? Listen, if you care about the things of God, you desperately want to see God use you, move in your life, you want your life to count for kingdom purposes. Anybody tracking with me this morning, okay? Here's the subtle way the enemy will attack you, is he will begin to convince you that it's actually about you and how you're doing. See, here's the challenge with that. We mess up every day. See, the moment that I make it about me instead of making it about him, I can be all over the place. Because see, Morgan and I, we got in an argument yesterday. Can I tell you all that? Was that okay? I didn't even run that past you. Okay, we did, all right? (laughs) We did, we absolutely did. We got in an argument yesterday. We did. Now, I was clearly wrong. <clears throat> but I had to preach today. So am I supposed to do with that, right? Hypocrite. Oh, you got no idea, right? I mean, listen, all right? See, if we make it about us, it's incredibly difficult to move forward. Greater is he who is in you than he is in this world. If you make it about you, it can constantly feel like that you're taking two steps forward and one step back. It becomes very performance-driven. The way you're doing this Christian life determines how God can use you in this Christian life. And we forget that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So I told y'all this earlier in the series, but back in April, Sam and Jacob and I, we, we flew up here and we attended a worship service. And at the time, I was praying through whether God was was calling me to to move our family here and and to serve as your next pastor. And obviously, God saw that through to completion and did, you know, make that calling clear. And again, I'm gonna share that story here in a few weeks. But on that particular Sunday, as we worshiped, I've already shared some of the things with you that I saw from you that just spoke to my heart. But specifically, I wanna share today, there were three things that were running through my mind that day in the worship service. So we were sitting way up there in in the balcony, and, 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 and there were a lot of people that got baptized that day. So the first thing that was running through my mind in the service was, how are they doing that? Because y- y'all know like how the drill works and I've been here now and we did a baptism in July, but John and the team are up here singing and people are getting baptized out there and they're up on the screen and then it cuts back to John and we're singing and we're baptized, and we're singing, and we're baptized, and I'm like, man, that's awesome, right? <laughs> like, how are they doing that? That's fantastic. And so I knew the production team and John and the worship team were working together and, and just using their gifts. And I was so like, wow, that's incredible. The second thing I was thinking about that day was, how did they get that many people signed up to get baptized? Because I've emailed church people before. They don't return your email sometimes, right? <laughs> Y'all are good at returning emails, okay? And so I'm like, wow, how did that happen? That's a lot of coordination. And then obviously since that time, I've, I've, I've gotten to see how Ashley and Alexis and Abby and Pam and Fran and, and all of the folks on our team do such a great job. And I'm like, well, that's how that happens, an amazing team that follows up with people and gets them connected. And so so the first two things were were, were kind of fun. How how are they doing that? And how are they doing that? The third one wasn't as much fun. So the third thought that popped into my head that day started once the message started. And that day, Steve Carter was sharing and he was doing a fantastic job. And I was taking some notes on my phone and felt like the Lord was really speaking to me and and I was really enjoying it. And all of a sudden, this voice just came into my head. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I knew the voice wasn't from the Lord. I knew it was from the enemy. Because here's what the voice came into my head, and this is, this is what it said. I'm just being I'm just being honest with y'all, okay, I hope that's okay, this is what that voice told me. That voice said, you're not a good enough preacher to be their pastor. That's what the voice told me. Now, I've recognized the enemy's attack in my life long enough to know two things about him. One, he's not real creative. But two, He's incredibly persistent. And so in that moment, I had a choice to make. And I haven't always made that choice well, church. I'm just telling you, I have not always made that choice well. But in this moment, God, in his graciousness, in his kindness, and in his goodness, and with the Holy Spirit, reminded me what the counterpunch to that thought was. And here's what it was. Agree with him. Agree with him. So that's what I did. I said, you know what? Now, I didn't say it out loud. Y'all just started staring at me. I didn't say it out loud. But I said, you know what? I'm not a good enough preacher to be their pastor. It's a good thing it's not about me. Because greater is he who is in me than any voice you could drop in my head. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And see, church, as long as we make it about us and what we can or can't do, we're in trouble. But the moment we recognize it doesn't have to be about us and what we can or can't do, because he's in us and he's supplying that strength, seeing that changes things. And for some of you, you need to hear that this week. See, for some of you, you stay at home with kids. You got little kids and they're all over the place. And and that little voice whispered in your head this week, you're not good enough to be their mom. For some of you, that voice whispered in your head this week, you're not good enough to be his wife. You're not good enough to be her husband. You're not good enough to pursue that career. You're not good enough to apply for that college. And see, the enemy so many times wants to make it about us because he knows When we access the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that's in us, things begin to change. So church, let me encourage you. Drive that stake in the ground. Don't make it about you. Make it about him, he who is in you. Let's look at our last passage for today. They're from the world and therefore they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. We talked about that a few weeks ago. There's people that the enemy is gonna use. There are people that are gonna be deceived by them. That breaks our heart. And we pray for them. But see, there's some good news for the next verse that I wanna focus on. But we're from God. We're from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Can I give you something worth celebrating today, church? You see, those of us from God we're listening and we're seeing what God is up to. If no one's told you this lately, don't miss what I'm about to tell you. God is up to something in this world. Unlike any other time in the history of Christianity, God is up to something in this world. Scripture is very clear that before Jesus returns, God is going to pour out his spirit in the last days in church. I think we're moving into those days. That God is pouring out his spirit. I believe God is going to pour out his spirit in greater measure. Did you know that there are millions of brothers and sisters in Christ gathering to worship together in Ethiopia? Millions. We saw what God did in Asbury back in February with an awakening that began to spread to different campuses all over our country. And here's what I'm saying this morning, church, by faith. That's a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. God, I believe, church, I believe God is pouring out his spirit. And listen to me. You can focus on everything that our world and our media and social media tells you to focus on. And you can track with that. You can get your mind and your heart and your affections and your attentions moving in that direction, but might I for a second make a suggestion to pull away from that and to tune into what God is up to in this world right now. See, I am desperately praying. I've been praying this prayer for years for God to pour out his spirit like never before. One last time, this great global revival and then send Jesus. And here's what I've been praying for years. I want it to happen in my lifetime. I don't know if it will. It may happen in my kid's lifetime. And sometimes God answers one generation's prayer in the next generation. But can I just be honest with y'all for a second? I wanna see it in my lifetime. I wanna see it. I wanna see God pour out his spirit. I wanna see revival take place. In church, here's what I'm saying, it's starting. But if you're all tied up in your own challenges if you've kind of gotten stuck, and we've all been there, I've been there, I'll be there again, you're gonna miss out on what God's up to. You're gonna miss out on what he's doing. So when we enter into these times of responses, I, I need you to hear me right now. We're not going through a few motions. We're literally calling on God to do that here, to pour out his spirit here, to let this be one of the places that he just breathes his spirit into that when someone says, what does revival look like? They say, there's a place called New Hope. He's moving there, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, and because we collectively said, God, have your way with us. God, pour out your spirit in us. God, whatever agenda we had, we set that aside, and here's what we ask you to do. Do what you wanna do, because if you're gonna move in a way like you've never moved before, we don't wanna miss that. We don't want to miss that. We don't want you to pass over us and have to go to a church down the road because we weren't ready, because we had some things already figured out. No, God, we're saying yes. We're available. That if you want to pour out your spirit, God, please do that here because we know you're doing that right now. And we want to be a part of that. And so, God, as we come to you now in this time of of response, I'm asking you to do that. God, I'm asking you to pour out your spirit on your people. God, I'm asking you to free some people up today that are entrenched in performance. God, I'm asking you to break some chains today that are holding some people back. God, I'm asking you to settle once and for all with some people today that it is not about them. It is about your spirit in them. And greater are you that is in them than anything that they're up against right now. And so God, have your way with us. God, pour out your spirit. God, receive our worship. God, speak to your children. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.